Welcome to Speaking of Grace, the weekly message podcast from the Whole Life Church in Orlando, Florida. We're a multi-ethnic, multicultural, and multi-generational congregation committed to our mission of loving people into a lifelong friendship with God. We are committed to our vision of being a church without walls, fully engaged in serving the people of our community. Thank you for joining us as we continue Speaking of Grace. I just want to say a quick thank you for all the, um, the prayers I know that have been going out for my dad and all the people who have um, let me know that you're praying, and, and, and it means a lot to my family and I. Um, my dad had a second surgery uh, Monday night, and I think that that one is hopefully going to be the one that, the last one that they're going to need. Um, and uh, they're telling us probably it'll be about at least six months before he's, he's back to 100%, but uh, we are grateful to have him back at all. So... Thank you for your prayers. Let's, uh, let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for a chance, the chance you've given me to be up front here of your people. And Lord, I, more than anything, I really want you to speak. Um, the number of years that I've been married doesn't make me any kind of expert on this topic. And I really want you to say to the couples here, for those who are thinking about being married, and for those who may never get married, I want each one of them to receive a word from you today. And I pray these things in your name. Amen. Amen. So, uh, speaking of how long I've been married, um, I have, uh, this picture was taken uh, a couple years ago. (laughs) Yeah, just a few. Rochelle's just as gorgeous as ever. I have, uh, you know... It is what it is. Um, so, so anyway, that's uh, we're coming up. Rochelle and I are coming up on 24 years in January. So yeah, so that's kind of a good thing, right? In fact, we'll say that's a really good thing. So I was looking at that picture this week, and I was and it's probably my one of my favorite wedding pictures that we have. It's uh, it's right after as we're getting done with the wedding. With uh, you know, you've kissed the bride. You're walking back down the aisle, and you can kind of just see we're both, you know, kind of walking on air, excited and happy. And um, I thought to myself, what would I want to tell that Ken Wetmore 24 years later? <laughs> like, if I were, you know, if I were able to jump on a time machine and go back and say, look, <laughs> if you want to make a better marriage, if you want to do a better job, you ought to do this. What would, I, what would I jump on? What would I go back? And what would I say to that, Ken? And I came up with a super uncomfortable word. Can I just, can I just admit to you, it's super uncomfortable? Is that okay? Can, can we kind of embrace a little bit of discomfort for a minute? Or 24 minutes or so? <laughs> um, it's the word submission. Oh, I knew it. I knew it. I knew that. I'm sorry. Don't leave. Just stay with me. Just stay with me. Please stay with me. Can I just be, can I just be a little bit vulnerable with you? I, um, I don't like to submit. I like things to be the way I want them to be. And if we just want to take a moment and just think about the way that American culture 
raises us. Um, and, and again, this is me not, every culture has its pluses and its minuses, okay? And there, there are culture, every culture does. But one of the things about American cultures, we're very, very individualistic. It's, what's about, it's about what's best for me. Uh, it, it's baked into our DNA, uh, you know, kind of not being happy with being taxed and, you know, that kind of thing, you know, back, you know, 1776, that sort of thing. And again, proud to be an American, love my, love my country, love my culture. But there's, some, there's a downfall to individualism at times. There's a pretty large one. Because I have this idea that if I don't take care of me, nobody else will, which is sometimes not, not wrong. But what that means is that I start moving people around like objects. Do you know what I mean by that? What are objects for? They're for taking care of me, right? You know, a toothbrush, I brush my teeth, it's going to help me hopefully not get cavities. I use objects to make my life better. The problem is, is that when I start treating people like objects, that you are here to meet my needs, and that's your purpose in life. And can I just be honest with you and vulnerable, and some of you, you may feel a little uncomfortable because you may not want to admit it, but I suspect that if you're married, you may have the same issue that I do, is that as much as I don't want to view Rochelle as an object, I often do. I need you to help my self-esteem. I need you to do this for me. And then we start getting into the game of, I will do this for you if you do that for me. Well, because you're not doing this, then I won't do that. Probably one of the better pieces of advice I did receive in my marriage was when I was at a marriage conference and they said, this is not 50%, you do 50%, I do 50%, we get 100%. This is each one of us doing 100% of what we're capable of, understanding that what I'm capable may be different than what you're capable of. But can I come back to that word submission? That uncomfortable word submission. I don't like the word because when I hear that word, I think of being taken advantage of. Can I just be honest with you for a second? I don't like that word because to me, it spells, it smells of being used and being and having my rights trampled on. And so I don't really care for that word submission very much. But today I want to challenge us to think about submission with three words that begin with C and then a fourth word that starts with a C that I want to throw out because, you know, that would make a four-letter word, so we're going to throw out the fourth word, okay? So what we're going to do, the first word that I want you to think about when it comes to submission and redefining it, because like I said, when I think of it, I think of, oh, you're going to take advantage of me. But the first word I want you to think of (laughs) came to me, and, and forgive me, I just have to use this because it works so well for me. If it doesn't work for you, that's okay, okay? I'm okay with that. But my son came home this summer. He came home, and uh, I think he had barely walked in the door. There's some dishes that needed to be done. I was like, there they are. Get at it. That's why uh, we had a children, right? Uh, That's another sermon. I'm kidding. So anyway, 
a couple hours went by and I saw the dishes still there in the sink. And I was like, Eric, dishes, let's get them done. And Eric said, chill, bro. Why are you so aggressive? And I was about to get really aggressive at that point. But uh, I was like, I'll sh- Firstly, I don't know who this bro person is, but there is going to be some, he's got some red hair. There's no chill there. Um, But it got me to thinking as I was preparing this sermon, what if we looked at, what if we looked at submission and thought about it more as taking a deep breath and chilling for a moment sometimes? that rather than, than aggressively pushing forward in our wants and needs, when we get a reaction back from the other one, we, we take a step back and we say, okay, let me not get aggressive. Let me take a moment to, to chill. Like I said, this may not land for everybody, but I want you to think about it because for me, my personality is sometimes that I tend to, if, if you want to get aggressive with me, I'm going to kind of lean into it. Oh, yeah? <laughs> and for me, one of the things I need to learn that I would tell that Ken Wetmore in that picture is, chill, bro. You don't have to be aggressive when things don't go your way in the marriage the way that you want them to be going. Calm down. Take a deep breath. Maybe that's a little bit of what it means to show Submission. The second word that I want you to think about is the word curious. A lot of us get very caught up in in the me part of what's going on in our marriage or in our relationships in general, right? And we forget to be curious about how the other person is feeling, how the other person is thinking. Why did they act that way? Why didn't they do that? Why did they do that? The other part that we would do well sometimes to also be curious about is, why did I do that? Why did I react that way? Maybe a part of submission is also being curious. Maybe we ought to be curious in our submission rather than looking as being taken advantage of. Maybe we ought to look at it as, help me understand. Rather than fighting with you, because my, my first thing to do when, when I'm told I didn't do something, it's like, well, yeah, but I did this, this, and instead of being like, why is it bothering you that much? Maybe you have a right to be bothered by it. The third C is the word commitment. And this one is, is a really important one. It's a super important one. Commitment. If you are committed to loving somebody for a lifetime, you're going to have to practice submission. It's gonna, you, there is no way around it. There is no way two people can fight for their rights and ever last. And having a lasting commitment, if you don't submit, So an important part of submission is this word commitment. This becomes super important because do you want to be loved because of your best day or in spite of your worst day? 
Because the truth is, I want Rochelle to be on her best day, but I want her to love me on my worst day. But isn't it only fair that if I want to be loved on my worst day, that she deserves to be loved on her worst day too? That I'm committed to her no matter what's going on? This becomes important because Jesus uses this as an illustration of his relationship with the church, as we're going to see in a minute. And one of the important, if that's a metaphor, one of the things we should understand is that Jesus never divorces us. We only divorce him. It's important. Look at the book of Hosea. This is a metaphor for God's relationship. And, and Hosea is told to marry a woman who he knows is going to be unfaithful. He sticks with her. He actually goes out and finds her and brings her back. This is God's relationship with us. Are we willing to be that giving in our relationships with others? It's a hard thing because what it means is that, yes, I have to be prepared to be taken advantage of a little bit. Now, let's be clear. Abusive situations, this is a different, different. (laughs) There are healthy boundaries in marriage. Nobody should be physically abused, period. And stop, period. And if you're being physically abused, please see somebody and get away from that person until they can figure out how to go ahead and do the right thing, okay? The final thing, the final word, the final C word that I don't want you to think about, that fourth word is the word control. This is where, this is where submission can go really bad, is when one person decides to be controlling. I need you to submit, that way I can control you. This is not the purpose of submission. When we talk about submission, it's not so that we can control another. We submit so that we can be in those other three things. So this is all good, Ken, thank you. What does the Bible say about it? Let's go ahead and look. Let's see what the Bible has to say about this. I picked this passage because there's some of you that would like to tear it out of your Bible. Yeah, that's okay. Let's just lean into that and understand that. It's okay. Why? Because this this particular passage has been abusively used. And so I thought about whether I wanted to preach on it or not. And I thought, well, if you don't preach the truth of this passage, then we're just letting other people define what it's saying. And so I'd like to go ahead and do my job and define for you what the Bible is saying here. Ephesians 5. And now, by the way, one of the interesting things is a lot of times when people start preaching on this, you have a certain agenda. They start in the next verse. They don't start with the first verse here in verse 21. The first verse is, and further submit one to another out of reverence for Christ. Instead, they start, for wives, this means submit to your husbands as to the Lord. It's really important for us to understand this is not a command just for wives. Look at that verse, submit to one another. And by the way, it's it's not just a marriage thing either. It's a a Christian family thing, submit to each other. This is me submitting to my children. Oh, what? No, wait, hang on, that can't be. Yeah, it is. It's a recognition that as a father, I can drive my kids away from God by my lack of willingness to say I was wrong. I made a mistake. I'm sorry. 
So this is, a, this is a statement that's not just for women, even though there's a lot of times that it gets pulled out and women have been abused through the centuries because of this verse and it's improper, the improper way that it's, it's uh, exegeted. So let's go ahead and keep on moving. For a husband is the head of his wife as the Christ is the head of the church. Now, again, we start feeling some, some tension here for some. Some people are like, oh yes, tell my wife that. I'm in charge, I'm the head. <laughs> I hate to break it to you, but did you not read the next part of it? As Christ is the head of the church. And you're like, yeah, exactly. He's in charge of everything. Well, let's keep reading. He's the savior of his body, the church. As the church submits to Christ, so wives should submit to your husbands in everything. For husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her. So before you think that you can tell your wife to do the, you know, that you're in charge, are you dying for her every day? And by the way, when did Christ die for us? While we were yet sinners. So before your wife does what you want, are you dying for her? Are you giving up your life for her? You're going to notice that Paul spends a lot of time on husbands, and we're going to talk about why here in just a minute. He did this to present, Christ did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she, instead she'll be holy and without fault. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. For a man who loves his wife actually shows love for himself. No one hates his own body, but feeds and cares for it just as Christ cares for the church and we are members of his body. As the scriptures say, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife and the two are united into one. This is a great mystery, but it is an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. So again, I say, each man must love his wife as he loves himself and the wife must, be, uh, must respect her husband. So in the society and culture we live in today, we read that statement, we think, wow, that's pretty backwards, Right? A lot of people do. You read and you think, oh, that's, that's kind of backwards. It's like, oh, isn't that, is there some misogyny in there? Is there some, some male, I'm in charge, I'm, you know, that kind of thing going on here. What I want you to understand is that Paul was writing to a church in Ephesus. And the church in Ephesus in those days, women in, the, in Ephesus and in the Roman culture, the, the Greco-Roman culture, they had no rights. Wives in Paul's time in Ephesus, wives there were good for one thing according to their thought, and that was producing legitimate heirs. That's it. There was a common saying in the time that, that wives are good for producing legitimate heirs, courtesans are good for fulfilling your sexual needs, and your concubines are good for taking care of the house. That's who Paul was talking to. Context matters. It really matters. We want to go ahead sometimes and take this, ignore all the culture that's going on around it, who Paul's talking to, and just pull it out and say, well, that's, you know, and ignore all that. You can't. You have to see this. You know, Paul's whole point, according to the Adventist Bible Commentary in the book of Ephesians, is unity in Christ. And so what Paul is trying to get out when he starts talking about marriage is, what does it look like to have a marriage where there's unity? Not control, not dominance, unity. 
The IVP Bible background commentary on page 552 says this. In those times, there were household codes. In other words, in, in Ephesian homes, there was a code of conduct that everybody kind of understood the way that things worked. This is how things work. And here's the code for husbands. You provide for the family, but you are under zero obligation to love your wife. Love has nothing to do with it. That's, that, that was their code. You don't need to love your wife. You don't need to be faithful to her. You don't, she's basically your property. You are in charge of everything. She has to listen to everything you have to say and do whatever you, she, you say. But the Bible commentary here, the IVP background Bible commentary says, but unlike most ancient writers, Paul undermines a basic premise of these codes, the male head of the house's assumption of absolute authority. This passage, believe it or not, if you read it, is a, a complete and utter undermining of male dominance. A complete and utter. Why? Well, does Christ manipulate you? Does he force you to do anything? No. Christ loves you, extends the love, and invites you to return that love if you choose. And Paul in this passage says exactly that. He said, husbands, you are under an obligation to love your wife. I don't care what the culture around you says. You have to love her. Therefore, be imitators of God and walk as beloved children and walk in love, just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us and offering a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. Husbands, you have to imitate God. That's how the first verses of Ephesians 5 starts off as Paul gets ready to talk about husbands and wives. He's saying you need to love each other and imitate the way that God loves and what does love look like? Guys, we've studied this. Husbands, love your wives. We've studied this. Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. Notice this next one. It does not demand its own way. This really bothers me because there is a generation of Christians out there today, and it's infiltrating to the Adventist church that says, if I'm in charge, it's my way. You got to do it if I say it, because God put me in this position of authority. Therefore, you must do what I say. And yet love, according to the Bible, does not demand its own way. Love loves and asks for the other to respond to love, not to control. This is so important, family. So important. This is what real love looks like. This is what real love looks like. Paul is saying to those Ephesians, oh, you guys think you're the head of the church. Okay. You think you're the head. That's great. Understand what that means. Remember what Jesus said to his disciples about what it means? That whoever wants to be greatest must become the slave of all. You want to be head? Fine. Be the slave of all. Be like Christ. Like Christ is in charge of the church and gave his life for her? That's what you do then. 
So I say again, each man must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Why does he use that word? Why does he say respect the husband? Can I tell you that I think that Paul was pretty hard on women here? Can you imagine what it would have been like to be the property of another person, to have no say in your life and then be told you need to respect that person? That's hard. It's a hard thing to respect somebody who oppresses you. But Paul says, you guys are, are now on a new path. You guys are Christians. You're walking in Christ. Things are different now for you. And wives, your husbands might not come around the way that they ought to. They might not love you the way that they ought to. And yet I am still asking you to respect them, to respect them as your husband, to give them the due that comes from the person being the husband in the relationship. Not greater, but being the other partner in this relationship. You know, it's interesting to me, uh, when the president of the United States that you like is in office, you demand that everybody respect them, right? I can't believe this disrespect is being shown to this guy. And yet, when the president you don't like is in office, oh, he's not respectable. I say he because we haven't had a female yet, okay? So that, we're, we'll get there. We'll get there. But my point is, that there is a certain amount of respect that is due to each person based on where they are. I might not like the president of the United States, but I'm gonna show respect if I come into their presence just because of the title that they hold. Respect doesn't mean that I agree. It doesn't mean that I get run over top of. It doesn't mean that I allow myself to be abused, but it means that I show the respect that is due that person because of where they're at. That makes sense? So Paul asked for a difficult thing from the women. He's saying, look, Paul's gonna, Paul's, it's like obvious that Paul's gonna want women to love their husbands. That's for him obvious. And he just says, but I wanna take it one step further. I need you to respect somebody who might not be treating you very, in a way that would engender respect. And that's a difficult thing to do. But may I just also suggest that if we're going to call ourselves Christ followers, Christ has treated us with love even when we haven't respected him and not when we have not treated him well. So I want to say to you this, marriages. The question is, at what stage of the Christian walk do you want to be in your marriage? Do you want to be under the original plan? Genesis 2, God said, it is not good that a man should be alone. I will give him a helper comparable to him. God creates not somebody who's less than, but somebody who is equal to. There's equality in that first relationship. And the question is, do you want to live there or do you want to live here? Do you want to live in Genesis chapter 3? Sin is about selfishness. It's about putting my needs and my wants above anything else. And because sin was introduced, this was part of that curse. When you're selfish, you will desire to control your husband. And your husband will try to dominate you. This, I got to win. I got to win. We're going to push back and forth. But Christ says in the new paradigm, 
let's submit. Let's not fight. Let's submit to each other. Let's be curious. Let's chill. Let's be committed. Where do you want to live? Anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. The the curse is gone. Unless you want to live under it. And a new life has begun. So where's your marriage at? Are you in the new life? Are you in the old life where you're fighting for your needs, your wants, and your desires at all costs? If I could go back and talk to young Ken, the one thing I would love to say to him is, stop worrying about yourself. Stop worrying about whether it's fair to you or not. And just love your wife. Love her the way 1 Corinthians 13 says to. This is a great mystery, marriage. But it is an illustration of the way that Christ and the church are one. Husbands and wives, are we going to behave in a way that tells the world that this is what Jesus looks like in our life? Marriages are meant to demonstrate God's unfailing love for humanity. They're an illustration of how the only thing that can separate us from God's love is our own choice to be separated. Marriage is an opportunity to practice submitting to each other and loving each other in the same way of the God that we were created in the image of. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, who live in perfect unity, submitting to each other perfectly. Hi, this is Randy McGray, podcast producer and host here at Whole Life Church. Loving people into a lifelong friendship with God is our mission at the Whole Life Church, and our podcasts, Speaking of Grace, and its companion, 15 with Andy, Randy, and Jeff, are designed to help facilitate conversations that help us grow together in that pursuit. Now that you've heard the message for this week, don't forget to check out the Whole Life Takeaways for this message. Swipe up in today's show notes and join the conversation. Speaking of conversations, each Wednesday morning we take a closer look at the week's message. That's right, the one you just listened to. We discuss practical ways to apply spiritual lessons and ask honest questions about the issues we face as Christians, all focused through the lens of grace. Your voice is a welcomed addition to that conversation. We encourage your thoughts and your questions by sending a voicemail or text to 407-965-1607 or send an email to podcast at wholelife.church. You can find everything podcast-related on our website, wholelife.church. Dot church slash podcast and plan on spending every Tuesday evening and Wednesday morning with us as we bring you the whole life church inspiration you love straight into your headphones. Thanks for listening and have a great week.